0: Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map Food Editor, Eric Sandler.
1: Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map Food Editor, Eric Sandler. I have Ryan LeShane, Tim Archuleta, and Grover Smith from Indie Chefs Week. Coming up in a little bit, but first, I'm joined by a new co-host, my good friend, Matt Harris. Uh, You may already follow him on Twitter and Instagram at ThatGuyHouston. Matt is a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene. He is one of the organizers of the Big Brothers Big Sisters Big Taste event, and he is the man most directly responsible for having brought Enrique Olvera to Houston last year for a one-night-only, hopelessly sold-out pop-up. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. Thank you for the kind words. Let's uh, let's dive right into the news of the week. Uh, last week, I published an article on Culture Map listing 26 restaurants that I expect to open between roughly now and Labor Day. It is uh, it's going to be a busy summer, certainly uh, highlighted by. Uh three restaurants that are opening this week. Um Underbelly Pre- UB Preserve, Chris Shepherd's sort of reconcepting of Underbelly, uh Augustus Fried Chicken, the very famous Memphis Fried Chicken restaurant, and uh Ray's Real Pit Barbecue, which is moving from the gas station to a, a standalone restaurant. Uh Matt, what else what else on the list stood out
2: for you? Well, certainly Nobu stood out.
1: Yeah. Nobu is this very famous New York based sushi restaurant that has almost 40 locations around the world. I've never eaten at one.
2: Uh, You can put me in that boat as well. I think it just speaks more to the um, where Houston is, is going and the, the food community is ready to embrace a concept such as Nobu.
1: Yeah. This, I mean, I sort of expect it to be uh, very elegant and very expensive. Uh, it's going into the Galleria right next to where, or right above where Fig and Olive just opened a few weeks ago. You know, I, I once heard a podcast interview with Andrew Zimmern, who said when he's, when he's been traveling and he's been in, in kind of more rustic countries, he, he lands in a, in a city with the Nobu, he's eating at the Nobu because it's just a rock-solid, consistent, and always very good. And I, I feel like that's kind of the ultimate compliment that someone in the food world can pay a restaurant like that.
2: Well, and certainly someone who travels as much as Mr. Zimmern does. And I also think uh, looking back and say, the last five to seven years, we, we've seen a number of outside celebrity-type establishments have come to Houston and have not done very well. And in the past 12 to 18 months, I think that's turned the corner. Um, And we've been anticipating Nobu for a while and that it's near uh, to opening is very exciting, not just for my stomach (laughs) and palate, but for the Houston food scene as well.
1: Well, and I think that is kind of one of the themes of this year is that these out-of-town restaurant groups see more opportunity in Houston. I mean, one of the other ones that it's going to come to the city in June is International Smoke. Uh, celebrity chef Michael Mina has partnered with Aisha Curry, who you know is is very well known uh, internationally for her cookbooks and for being married to Stephen Curry of the Golden State Warriors. Um, but you know, a restaurant from San Francisco, you know, a guy with Michelin stars, with multiple James Beard awards, uh, that sees opportunity in Houston, and and I, I'm a little bit dubious about whether Michael Mina's barbecue restaurant is going to be a hit in city center. Uh, but I like that he sees opportunity here.
2: I, 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 I agree. Uh, I think that that's the more interesting part of it. I feel fairly certain that I will uh, uh, be there a few times to uh, see what it's all about. But the fact that, that he has put an investment and in his name behind opening here in Houston is, is, a feather in our cap.
1: Yeah, and it's nice to see that local groups are expanding too. Uh, None more ambitious maybe than Agricole Hospitality. They're the owners of Cultivari and 8 Row Flint bringing a restaurant called Indianola, a bar called Miss Carousel, and a pizza restaurant called Vinny's to the East Village development in East Downtown. Um, They've been pretty tight-lipped about what they're going to be serving there, but it almost doesn't matter, right? I mean, their reputation is so
2: solid at this point. It's going to attract plenty of attention. I think so. Uh, first, I'd like to say thank you to those guys for opening Night Heron, which is in my neighborhood. Yes. So uh, our na- our neighborhood. our neighborhood. Um, but uh, I agree. I, you know, Cultivare is is a standard for uh, for local Houston food scene, and Eight Row Flint and Revival Market, and so I'm excited about what the uh, future holds for those concepts and again sure that i will be attending uh my fair share yes your fair share of meals there as well i um anything else
1: that sort of caught your attention
2: um ub preserve is uh something that i'm pretty excited about not just the location but i think the concept change and the creativity uh is something that um To be in the Montrose area is going to be really exciting.
1: Well, and of course, I'm ready for uh, I'm I'm ready for Chris Shepard to open Georgia James, the revival of uh, One Steak. I had several good meals there during that concept's run. Something about searing steaks on cast iron that makes them extra
2: delicious. Houston is definitely a steak town, um, and uh, I enjoyed my steaks there at.
1: One-fifth as well. Yes, you're a steak connoisseur. Uh, I will say there's one other one I just want to talk about, and then we'll move on. Uh, Cowboy Kitchen. This is Chef Nicky Tran. If you've seen the Houston-focused episode of Ugly Delicious, towards the end, uh, David Chang goes to Vietnam and meets a woman who had lived in Houston and, and had taken some of the Viet Cajun spices back with her to Vietnam and then blended that with Vietnamese ingredients. So that chef is Nikki Tran and she has taken over the Bacchus space in Montrose on Dunlevy where she's opening a Vietnamese restaurant. And I think we've been kind of waiting for a uh, a Vietnamese restaurant that that sort of transcends, you know, banh mi and and pho and and even some of the the, you know, bún bò Huế or whatever, but like that kind of elevates those those dishes with really good ingredients and, and maybe more refined technique. Uh, I just feel like that restaurant, if, if, it, if it comes together properly, is going to be just a game changer for
2: us. I think it uh, is maybe would be in my dark horse category, uh, something that could, as you say, be a game changer. The other one that stands out for me in, in that category as well is uh, Indigo with Johnny Rhodes. Yeah. I, we happen to be in North Houston
1: recently and I drove you past where restaurant Indigo is going to be, it's an unlikely location for an ambitious tasting menu restaurant that wants to mine the history of soul food for sort of innovative dishes. Uh, I will say Johnny is very passionate about the work that he's doing and he's very ambitious. And I think you're right. It's, it's a bit of a dark horse it is one of those restaurants that if it comes together in line with his vision will draw people to a part of Houston that I don't think they experience very often. Uh, it's certainly a part of Houston I don't know very much about. And if it's not, then it's going to be like not a cautionary tale necessarily, but uh, maybe a little bit of Icarus flying too close to the sun.
2: Yes, I will certainly uh give him props for his ambition and uh will look forward to supporting it and if it does come together, uh I'll be excited to see where it goes.
1: All right, and then finally uh before I move on to our next topic in the in the in the lead in the in the introduction to uh the article I I sort of uh half casually argued that there has not been a great restaurant that's opened in Houston this year. Uh, do
2: you agree with me? I don't think that's unfair. Um, part of 2017 was such a great year for Houston. Um, I think that's part of it. So your anticipation of, of what needs to be next is maybe raised a little bit more. Um, it does seem like it's coming. Uh, Just the list that you have on Culture Map, there's a lot of excitement there. We've been doing um, some adventure eating in Chinatown, and I think that that area is as strong as ever, uh, both with the uh, existing and new concepts. Uh, And Houston, you know, as a community, just witnessed by, I was thinking about on the way over here, being able to support, you know, two runs of Indie Chefs Week within a couple of months um, I think speaks really well of how far the scene has come and not, I don't know that we're there yet in 2018 again, 2017 was such a great year, but if we have the same conversation uh, come December, I think we'll look back and see 2018 is, is another step forward. Yeah. and,
1: And I don't want to underestimate the impact that the hurricane had in terms of delaying, People's plans. I mean, I, I certainly think that some of the restaurants that are opening in the summer probably would have opened in the spring, if not for the storm. But but I do think we're still kind of looking for that game-changing restaurant like Sochi was, like Riel was last year. Um, not there yet, but but a lot to look forward to. All right, let me move on uh, to look slightly farther ahead to the fall when Musafer by the Spice Route Company is going to open. Uh, also in the Galleria, uh, also sort of right next to where Nobu is going to be. You know, we have a lot of Indian restaurants in this town, but I, I'm going to say we don't have anything quite like Musifer, uh in terms of its ambition, uh, a 10,000-square-foot space in a very high-profile location, uh, and also in terms of its uh, culinary goals. Uh, the chefs took a 100-day journey across India, they ate in the big cities. They ate in the little villages, and they want to serve dishes that represent the entire country, not just one specific region. Matt, let me just um, let me just say before I ask you, uh, I have gotten a lot of just sort of word of mouth feedback from people, uh, including the owner of Culture Map, David Gao, who told me he can't wait to eat there. Um, in some ways, it has increased that that. Response has sort of increased my excitement about this. Uh, what do you think about having read the article and seen the interview?
2: What do you, what do you think about Mucifer? Well, part of me says grab the popcorn. <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be really interesting. Um, it, I can't think of another restaurant that uh, fits this bill. Um, I do think that we have some really good Indian food here locally. Um, but coming in in a 10,000 square foot space and
1: really ornate
2: interior, really ornate interior,
1: uh, uh, 16 to 20 course tasting menu will be available. It won't be, you're not required to order it. They'll have an a la carte menu, but, but I, I mean, I don't think we've seen an Indian restaurant of that kind of ambition maybe ever, certainly since Pondicherry kind of, tried to do something really different in West Ave.
2: Right. You know, I mean, Kieran's moved into a, a, a new space and it's bigger, brighter. And, um, obviously she has strong track record in Houston, but for someone to be come in from out of town like this and do this, uh, I think it's going to be interesting. I said,
1: I did compare it to Baker Mayfield. Uh, you know, I, I mean, this, this show is airing on a, a sports talk station, uh, I am very conscientious of the fact that my gal media colleagues are mostly sports talk radio hosts, uh, in the sense that number one, overall draft pick, the Browns have been pretty much a cursed franchise since they were revived. Uh, and Baker is the kind of talent where either he's going to, he's going to take them to the playoffs and, and uh, out of this rut that they're in, or maybe the franchise is just cursed and he'll wash out like Johnny Manziel did. Uh, I feel like there are very few restaurants coming to Houston that have a higher ceiling or a lower floor. That's that is draft talk, right there.
2: High ceiling, low floor. Uh, uh, if, quick, quick
1: hips, right? Uh, wait, no, never mind. <laughs> uh,
2: diagnosis plays well. Um, if loves football, okay. I'm done. I'm done. If Musafir displays the consistency that Baker Mayfield did at OU then they will do very well.
1: Absolutely. Uh, all right. And then I, I joke about this every week that there's new food hall news. Um, but, you know, as long as they keep making news, I guess we should keep talking about it. Finn Hall has rounded out its 10 vendors. They, allow, they announced the last four. They are Kraft Burger, the burger truck from former Hotel Derek chef Shannon Toon, uh, Sitlow. <laughs> a Vietnamese restaurant from the Bold Over food truck, Oddball Eats, which is kind of a honestly a falafel truck, a Mediterranean truck, and Yong, a Korean restaurant from former Cottonwood and LaGrange chef uh, Daniel Adjtai. I mean, Matt, I'm just going to say these, like, what's been interesting about Finn Hall is that they've partnered with all these prominent local restaurant groups, so there's going to be a good company, Taqueria and a Dish Society and Mala um, that I think are kind of the headliners. And then they're giving these four kind of up-and-comers an opportunity to be part of that. Uh, that feels like a good balance to me. I, I think this is a food hall that, that should at least draw attention when it opens. Um, sometime in July, August, they've been a little bit cagey about exactly what the timing is. Um, and the location is good. It's in the JP Morgan Chase building. That means it's on the tunnel. That means if nothing else, it'll have a a brisk lunch crowd.
2: Um, and, and I do one, always a fan of, of local concepts. So I like the uh, local thrust there. Um, I've had several, uh, almost unanimous positive experiences at the conservatory, which is also downtown. A little smaller in scale and scope, uh, but uh, I think those uh, they do a good job there. And and the people, uh, you know, go and it's crowded and and it's great to see. So there is some excitement. Um, I'm not downtown, um, so I'm not sure how that uh, affects me personally. But I do like that it's local concepts and uh, imagine that uh, will probably be there. Yeah, I will say
1: I have been to Kraft Burger. It's a very good burger. I, I think having a good burger concept is important for any food hall because it's just such a staple of the kind of food people like to eat. And I am really intrigued by Yong. I mean, I don't know um, Daniel very well. I know people who have worked with him and say uh, good things about his cooking and his creativity. And I'm not sure that, you know, working at, at bars like LaGrange and Cottonwood is really um, representative of his, of his potential, although I did feel like, you know, those both of those places had their moments from a food perspective. Um, but doing Korean food, the kind of food he grew up eating uh, based on family recipes and, and then his kind of own culinary perspective, I don't feel like we have a ton of Korean food outside of Long Point in Houston. So I'm just curious to see how that comes together and, and excited about trying it.
2: I, I, I put me in that boat too. Um, I think that's the one that uh, piques my curiosity the most. And also seems to, um, there's a trend there uh, in our previous discussions here this morning about those type of concepts coming in from uh, outside the loop. So we're starting to see a little more uh, where you would typically have to go to Chinatown or Long Point to find this uh, sort of ethnic food, and have it downtown in the Montrose area and inside the loop, I think is exciting. All right. That does it for the news of the week. We will be right back with our restaurants of the
1: week. Stick around.
0: You're listening to what's Eric
1: eating. So Matt, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk about a couple of places that we have dined together recently, starting with tuck, tuck crab. I guess this is it's, it's in Chinatown, but it's not, on Bel Air, it's on Wilcrest, um, sort of street food, right? Like a, a little bit of a Thai influence, a little bit of a Singaporean influence. We had uh, a curry crab that I, I would say is kind of their signature dish that was that was very good. Uh, we had a, a Thai-style chicken lob salad, and then we had some chicken wings. Um, Matt, what did you think of Tuk Tuk Crab?
2: I thought it was... Uh... A good way to spend the day. Obviously, dining with you sets oh. the tone. Uh, I thought the crab was done really well. Lots of flavor. Um, uh, I want to say it was around $23, like $23 $24 bucks for a,
1: a pretty good sized crab. For yes, um, big enough that we split it with
2: the chicken wings
1: and had a pretty satisfying lunch.
2: Cooked well. Um, just two thumbs up for that dish and, and worth worth experiencing
1: yeah this is a place i've seen a lot on social media that i had not had a chance to visit um it's it's kind of an industrial look but they have an actual tuk tuk in the uh the little scooter in the in the building so props to them for a little bit of uh design flair i guess uh yeah i really like the crab i thought the curry was super flavorful i thought the crab itself was well-cooked. I am generally speaking too lazy to pick a crab, but I thought this was pretty easy to pull apart. And I thought the fish sauce chicken wings were very good. Uh, the chicken salad was kind of whatever for me, but um, maybe not the menu's strength. They were plugging the crab fried rice, given given our experience with the whole crab. I would definitely go back to try that. Uh, and then we continued our little Chinatown mini crawl with dessert. We went to uh, Aquas, the uh, Australian-based soft-serve ice cream restaurant that just opened up next to Tiger Den. Uh, This has been something of an Instagram sensation because you can order the soft-serve surrounded by cotton candy, so it looks like it's kind of in a cloud. Uh, Matt, what did you think about your ice cream at
2: Aquas? Well, you had me at cotton candy, uh, and I believe they the hipster term for that is fairy floss.
1: So apparently it is not a hipster term. Apparently it is what cotton candy is called in Britain and Australia.
2: Well, I'm not a hipster. So there goes, yeah, as I said, there I'm goes my hipster, to hipster. hipster That's right. Uh, I, you know, it, it, that's right in my wheelhouse. Um, I'm a dessert guy. Uh, I thought the soft serve, particularly the sea salt was really delicious. Um, Went full board with the fairy floss, with the sweet popcorn, with the pop rocks, with the toasted marshmallow, and couldn't have been happier. Yeah, I will say, um,
1: sometimes these desserts that show up online, uh, don't always taste as good as they look in photographs, but I was really impressed with Aquas. I, I'm totally with you that sea salt flavor. Uh, was delicious it wasn't it wasn 't salty per se it was more like salted caramel uh which is always one of my favorite flavors uh The pistachio was kind of just okay for me but but the nice thing is they have uh flavors that rotate uh about every six weeks so sea salt is always there uh right now it is pistachio and red bean, and then in a few weeks it'll be something else so you know, I'm not saying I want to stand in line for like 30, 40 minutes for the soft serve. Uh, but we went on a Friday afternoon and walked right in. Uh, certainly would do that. Uh, would certainly go there, uh, after dinner at any other restaurants in the Dunhuang Plaza. Um, certainly that it's right next to Tiger den is convenient because ramen is salty and spicy and cool and sweet after that is always extra refreshing. Uh, but yeah, I mean I, I was I was very pleased and, and I don't always feel that way. And I, I won't I won't say uh rolled ice cream at class five oh two but but I'm just saying that you know not all of those not all of those hype dessert experiences uh deliver flavor in the same way that aquas did.
2: Uh agree wholeheartedly. Uh typically if I'm going to uh Chinatown for dessert, it's it's shaved ice. Um, I thought this was really good sometimes
1: it 's beignets,
2: it 's shea beignet. <laughs> sometimes it is, but typically it 's shaved ice um, but i will I will certainly be back to aquas aqua s and uh, if not a regular visitor so very yeah that, that one that one moved the needle for me all right,
1: and then finally i don 't want to dwell on this too long but You and I both attended the Wagyu Mafia pop-up at Blacksmith last week uh, where the owner of Wagyu Mafia was visiting Houston from Tokyo. Uh, He is friends with David Buer, one of the owners of Blacksmith. So they put together a little meal where uh, Feejus Barbecue cooked some Texas Wagyu, some some American Wagyu, and then the owner of Wagyu Mafia made his very famous katsu sando, which is a lightly fried piece of Wagyu like authentic Japanese steak uh, served on very buttery brioche bread. Uh, he charged a hundred dollars for that sandwich, which if you figure that uh Wagyu and most restaurants sells for, you know, 35 to $50 an ounce, depending on its exact provenance and prefecture is probably, uh, reasonable given the cost of the ingredients. Uh, Matt, you and a friend split one of those hundred dollar sandwiches, uh, you know, let me just ask you the question that everybody asked me when I put it on a picture of it on Instagram. Was it worth it
2: to steal a line? It was like the Pulp Fiction milkshake. You're stealing my line that that this is true. This is true. Full credit to Mr. Chandler. Uh, I thought it was worth it. Um, you know, hats off to David for, for bringing Wagyu mafia here. Uh, I just, I thought it was a great event. Um, had a few other things from Fijis, barbecue, which I thought were, were great as well. Uh, I was very happy, and um, thought really that maybe I should have got another sandwich. <laughs> yeah, I. So just
1: for anyone who hasn't seen Pulp Fiction, uh, which I, I I don't know how much overlap there is, but but uh, John Travolta and Uma Thurman go to this diner. There's a $5 milkshake, which in 1994 seemed pretty extravagant to John Travolta, who sips the $5 milkshake and says, I don't know if it was worth $5, but it was pretty fucking good. I feel that way about the sandwich uh, because you gave me a bite of yours and then I got a bite of, I got another bite of somebody else's. Um, You know, really fatty seared beef on super buttery brioche is always going to be uh, a very tasty bite. Um, but I can buy the full tasting menu at the pass for that amount of money. And I'm not sure that, you know, you can't compare them directly. But as extravagant meals go, yeah, I mean, I'm glad I got to experience it. I'm not sure I ever need to do it again. That's kind
2: of where I'm at. Well, I think the experience part of it is is certainly factors into it. You know, right. There's real- something about
1: having him there cooking it for you. Uh, otherwise, you'd have to fly to
2: Tokyo for it. Indeed, that, so that that counts for a lot. Well, and and then also uh, just acknowledging, you know, the effort that uh, David put into bringing them here and and supporting Houston in that in that way. Uh, to me, it was a no-brainer, and and can, looking back, I've I've had the opportunity to experience some. Some high level uh, dining experiences, and and the question is, I'll usually ask myself is, would you do it again? And that's an easy answer for me, absolutely.
1: All right, well, very good, Matt. Thanks so much. Uh, for people who don't know you, they can follow you on Twitter and Instagram at that guy Houston. And I will be right back with Tim Archuleta, Grover Smith, and Ryan lachine
2: Thanks, Eric. You're listening to What's
3: Eric Eating?
1: Our interview this week is brought to you by 8th Wonder Brewery. So glad to have 8th Wonder back as a sponsor of the show. It really is one of my favorite local breweries. Their brewery in East downtown, that they call Wonder World, is such a great place to hang out, especially now that the spring weather is here and all of the sports teams are kind of in... In full bloom, the Astros are back in season. The Dynamo have kicked off their season, and we're looking forward to a deep playoff run for the Rockets. Eighth Wonder is a really great place to go before the game for a couple of beers, maybe a bite from the E2 Boys food truck, and of course, you can find it on tap walls and shelves all over the city. They have the Vice Timer—that's their new year-round beer. It's made the jump from a seasonal, and looking ahead, we can look forward to the return of. Hater there goes us. So thank you to Eighth Wonder for sponsoring the show, and I'll be right back with our guest of the week. I'm joined this week by three of the participants in last weekend's Indie Chefs Week owner organizer Grover Smith. Grover, hey, how are you? I'm
0: doing well. How are you today?
1: Our local host, Real Chef owner Ryan Lachane. Ryan, welcome back. How are you? And uh, a visitor from, from San Francisco. Tim Archuleta, the chef owner of Ichi Sushi. Tim, thanks for doing this. Thank you for inviting me. Guys, Grover, let me just start with you. Uh, Indie Chefs Week was in Houston in January, and then you came back here immediately in May. Uh, Why so soon? Why why such a quick return? So I live here. Um, We had originally
0: planned to do Atlanta in May and we had some kind of stuff fall through with our location and then one of the sponsors that was gonna help underwrite the event. Um, and I just was thinking about what was the easiest thing for me to do? Where do we have a lot of excitement about it? I had a lot of people uh, contact us via our website and reach out to me over Instagram that had seen photos that wanted to come to the event again. And so I thought, well, you know, I'd love to bring a different group of chefs down. Ryan and I had talked about doing it there at Riel. Uh, when I got back in town from a trip to San Francisco in March, I think I went to Ryan and just said, do you want to do this on this weekend? Uh, and I had another city in mind, but I was hoping we could do it here because it's a lot easier in on my mind and body if I get to sleep in my own bed at night versus a hotel. Uh, and it worked out really well. And uh, his partners in Riel were super excited to have it happen. Uh, we actually sold most of the tickets over presale uh, email before we even put it up for uh, – public sales and you know it's a great city for food like the guests always have a great time one of the comments we get from the chefs that have done more like multiple indie chefs week is that everybody's just really excited to be there you don't really get guest complaints like they're just really into it and uh i think that's a good thing for both sides of the equation i think the chefs enjoy that and then uh the guests have just really eaten it up literally and figuratively so that's kind of how it happened
1: yeah ryan i mean i know that you've You've been participating in Indie Chef's Week since the very beginning, right? And yeah. The first one in Austin in 2013. What was it like to host, as opposed to just like show up and cut? It's a, <clears throat> excuse me.
3: It's a lot of different hosting. You know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of moving parts to this. Welcome and, to my world. Yeah, and having to wrangle, you know, 30 of these guys and, and girls, and and try to get them organized and that, you know, isn't easy all the time. But you know, it's fun. Um, it's a good experience. It's a good experience for my staff to to um, see all these different um, chefs come in and cook and, and what they're doing and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it was um, <clears throat> at times it was stressful, but uh, I would do it again.
1: I mean, I, I do have to tell you one of the nice things about Indie Chefs Week as a diner is that the service moves really quickly, right? It's not one of these pop-ups where it just drags on for like four hours. Uh, and I thought your staff in particular, maybe because they were just working in their regular restaurant, like did a good job of, just the, the little stupid things in service, right? Making sure, like, water glasses were refilled and, you know, silverware got reset and just, like, like when somebody needed another glass of wine or a cocktail or whatever, people would sort of look up and a server would pop up. So I just... I, I, I'm
3: yeah. fortunate to have a good staff. And, we you know, we spoke about it before and, you know, Grover spoke to them about how this is going to go. Like, no one wants to sit down and eat for four hours anymore in these things. It's too much and it's just... You know it's exhausting, so we you know we have a time limit. We want to move these courses and do this, and this is people are paying a lot of money to to do this, so we should you know take care of them.
4: Past two hours, they lose interest. So like,
0: yeah, and I mean we the goal is always that if there are any slowdowns, it's because the guests are getting pretty satiated, and so we have to slow down to kind of pace with them. Um, that's the ideal situation. We don't want it to be the other way around, where it's the kitchen or the front of house that's slowing down the service. And you know I've been really lucky at a lot of different events having some amazing staffs do this, and a lot of them in their restaurants or in spaces they're not used to. And I do have to say that real did a really good job. So thank you to Nick and JD and that whole team, Heather.
3: Yeah, they did, you know, they did a good job, but you know, the, the chefs in that there, there's, there's so many hands there and there's so many people willing to help where it's like, like yesterday, it was almost too much. We we're just telling guys like get the hell out of the kitchen already. Cause there's, <laughs> there's too many dudes, you know, people hanging around. So, you know, they know what what's going on. So there's, you literally have to like make one plate, and show them what to do, and then they can do it you know, as good or better than you can.
4: Yeah, I mean, you have anybody who's super talented just open up a restaurant or someone who has a Michelin star. I mean, plating your food. It's not like you're asking someone's sous chef to do it. Or, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's like...
1: Right. Well, and, I mean, we should say, you know, I, I did a little bit of Googling about you, Tim and I. Oh, man. It, it seems like you have one of the best sushi restaurants in San Francisco. Is that? That's absolutely true. I'm going to say that.
4: Um, thank you for saying that. Um, I try really hard. I'll, I'll
1: say that. <laughs> so, so let me just ask you: What is it about Indie Chefs Week that that appeals to you? That keeps you coming back? Because you've done several of these now.
4: I think I've done the most. Actually, I think you've done
1: yeah. the yeah. most
3: eight or so.
4: Um, well, I'm a classically trained sushi chef. Um, I taught myself how to cook, so I spent most of the 23 years just learning how to make sushi, and then. I well, my own restaurant. I had to basically have some other dishes. So, taught myself how to cook. So, coming to these events and seeing and being able to work next to these amazing chefs and seeing their techniques and stealing some of their recipes. And, and I mean, uh-huh. really, though, yeah. <laughs> it's um. like, you know, it's funny because, like, I can go and show everybody how to cure salmon roe, traditionally, how I do it in the restaurant, and then they're showing me other techniques. And then I'll look on Instagram a week later and see my salmon roll on their, on their menu, <laughs> right. yeah. which is awesome. I, which I don't mind at all. I think it's actually, I think it's, I mean, are compliment. there,
1: are there dishes on your menu that have been inspired by things you've learned or seen at Indie Chef? League? Oh
4: yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, the inspiration of, of, of hanging out, or I even say a lot of times, if I can just sit and be a dishwasher at some of these guys' restaurants, I'd, be the best thing because so I could sit and watch. I mean, I would watch dishes, but I would learn, learn, learn a lot just from watching. So it's almost the same thing, but then you get to sit next to them, and then you get them to actually plate your food. It's pretty It's pretty awesome. It's pretty amazing.
1: Ryan, I know one of the things that you've talked about in the past is that you, you form these friendships with other chefs who've participated in the event. I mean, how important is that? has been, has that been to your professional development do you think oh well,
3: i think it's <clears throat> excuse me it's very important um you know a lot of these guys i i don't go a week without without talking to them about something you know it may not be food and that, but um you know now you don't if you travel anywhere we know we know someone in some way shape or form at a restaurant or or in the industry um you know, so knowing all these guys and, and just making these, these connections and having these relationships is, is a big deal and it's, it's huge. You
4: know, I was unfortunately um, on a hospital bed for three months, a year and a half ago. And I have to say, everyone who I've formed a relationship with texted me and was seeing how I was doing, sending me love messages. Yeah, I mean, it really is kind of a big love fest.
1: Yeah, actually, I, I saw that. Well, and and you had, I mean, there were fundraisers on your behalf and... Uh, so let me just ask you how are, how are you doing I'm doing great now yeah yeah lost 50 pounds look well, good for you go to the
4: gym a bunch I don't drink as much except when I come to these events <laughs> <laughs> I think we all say that like yeah this,
0: there's not a I love these events obviously I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't but by the end of it I'm so happy that They're hard on the body. Yeah, they really are.
1: Well, you never know when some jerk's going to show up with a bottle of bourbon and a present for the kitchen. No, Every jerk shows up with a bottle of bourbon. Um, Tim, let me just, how do you feel like this one in Houston, uh, this last weekend went compared to some of the others you participated in? Um, well
4: now they're, um, scheduled a little differently. So we have a day where we all hang out and eat with each other pretty much all day long. um, also, the night that you're not cooking, um, Grover set up some awesome reservations for some places in town and got to experience some really awesome food and hang out with some of the other chefs who I don't know as well. So that was, I like really like the format on that.
0: Yeah. I think the dinners went really well. Um, there's always a, there's kind of a learning curve. You know, The first night we do it, there's a couple of hiccups, but it still went really well. And then by the second night, it's a lot easier, and you've had – and then you've kind of got to change it back to house so it's a different feel because of different chefs in the back and how they're plating. And then by the time you roll around to Sunday, it's just like bang, bang, bang. I and mean, we started 12 to 13 months of course for the first four courses. I can't remember who was responsible for the slowdown. We'll just forget about it. But uh, no, it, you know, it, this one went really well, I think. And I, I, I agree, the new format, I think, allows, it allows an opportunity to, to forge relationships so when you show up on Sunday to the final, finale dinner, you're not like meeting someone for the first time, you know, and you've had time to kind of build that rapport. Uh, talk about the dish. I mean, like Claire Well, who uh, was visiting from Brooklyn, I mean, she was staying in Montrose, and she literally changed her complete dish because she found so much stuff that she was just taking out of people's gardens and uh, just weeds that she saw walking from uh, her rental place to um, And I, Yeah, I think this one went fantastic, um, comparatively speaking. They, have, they all have different feels.
4: You know, it's really funny because, and I did the same thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. When you do your first one, you really want to, like, impress the other chefs so you're really bringing your a-game and you might do like a super complicated dish that has like 15 or 16 touches which means you actually like 15 16 components and um, everyone else is mad <laughs> and then and then you realize like you want you, now like i bring the most simple dish because yeah. i'll touch it three times four times and that's it because it's got to go
1: yeah no i i, I talked to erin fee just about her dish that she served on friday and she was like yeah, it's a fried hunk of pork belly with onions and pickles. Yeah, that's and a way to do I, you know, it. could could have yeah. been simpler. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's a smart thing to do.
0: Yeah.
4: I mean, use 70 dishes. I mean, even yeah. though you have a lot of hands, it's still got to go out.
0: And, the, you know, the point of this is also to be more about, like, forging community and relationships across different markets. And, like, we don't want this to be a beating as far as uh, the workload of the, the events. So we always recommend do as much prep in advance, fly down with it, and then really the only prep you're doing on site is your final assembly and then know, your stuff for Sunday, and that makes a four-day trip where you're working basically like half a shift, you know, of at least prep work. Uh, so I think that helps out a lot.
1: Tim, had you been to Houston before? No, my first time. So what are your, I mean, what are your impressions of the city? Because we, you know, we're, we're sort of in the middle of it, and, and so it's always nice to get an outside perspective. Well,
4: so far, some of the best Vietnamese food I've ever had. Um, at Himalaya, I probably had some of the best... Middle Eastern food I've ever had. Um, So just, I mean, and those saying those two things alone, it's incredible. The food
1: here is amazing. And we fed you crawfish at Kitchen 713. That that was good. That was good.
3: Yeah.
4: Yeah, That was pretty incredible. I wanted to use a curse word right there, but I have to (laughs) stop (laughs) myself. Yeah, so James and
0: Ross, um, James and Ross did Szechuan, crawfish, blue crabs, king crabs, shrimp, and then like a traditional Cajun. and turkey neck neck, sausage it was uh it was insane it was a lot of food it was like four 10 gallon buckets of uh fish because blue
1: horizon threw in a bunch of
0: extra stuff that we didn't order so we had like double the yield we thought we did it's good but it was it was absolutely delicious those guys make really good food
1: Yeah. yeah and and i think that's one of the things i like about the event is that i mean they've gotten a decent amount of media attention for what they do but i don't Think of them as being connected to kind of the larger chef community, but they should be. They like, should no, no, be. Like 100% I, I, think, I think those
3: guys are severely underrated, in my opinion. I think they're, I've eaten there before. I think it's great, um, and I'm glad they came and I and I, and I got to know them because they're really really good guys.
1: Well, and I, I think it's nice that the event is like a nice way to to bring them in, right? To yeah. have them participate in in something, and and you know maybe there are diners who have heard about kitchen 713 or read about kitchen 713, but haven't, haven't been there recently. I mean, I know I went a couple of times when it opened and I haven't been back probably in six months or more and having had their dish Thursday night at Indie Chef's week. It's like, okay, now I, I, I got to bump that up yeah. on the priority list. So sorry, it may, it may, it may delay my next visit to real. No, boo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, and like, is that another example with that kind of community feels Drake Leonard's, you know, with Eunice, you know, there hadn't been any really publicity yet for that because they were kind of waiting to let it out. And, you know, he hadn't met the chef community at large in Houston. And so it was nice having, it was good to see Daniel, Daniel blue took part as kind of a uh, pinch hitter on Sunday. Um, and to kind of have Drake come in, he got to meet a lot of the Houston chefs. He hadn't met previously. There were quite a few people at Indy chefs week that they had similar lineages at different restaurants. And so, you know, we met his family, his wife and kid. It was, you know, it's just, that's what it's about, right? You know?
1: Um, well, and, and, you know, a year ago, we would have had one conception of how that restaurant was going to market itself. Yeah. Um, that's obviously not going to work. And so Drake has to establish his own independent identity as, as a as a talented chef and, and an experienced cook because the restaurant's going to lean on him in a way that maybe it wasn't going to um, before all the news about John Beshbro.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and that's, I mean, I was really happy to have them come take part, uh, you know. I think it'll be a good addition to the Houston dining scene. He's a riot. Yeah, he's yeah. loose,
1: <laughs> and those crawfish were really good. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, certainly one of my favorite dishes from, from Thursday night. Uh, Tim, let me, let me ask you. I mean, has there been there hasn't been an Indie Chefs Week in San Francisco yet? Has there? Not yet. Um, do you think the city would welcome it? I mean, is this is this something you'd like to, to see or help host? Or? Yeah, definitely.
4: We're we're pretty. We have a pretty strong chef community in San Francisco. Um, You know, there's a lot of competition and we're all fighting for it, but we're all friends. So I think the city would actually respond
1: really well to it. Yeah. I mean, it's a arguably top three restaurant city in America, right? I mean, some depending on how you want to slot them.
4: Yeah. There's a lot of Michelin stars. There's a lot of James Beard winners. So it's, you know, it's it's up there for sure.
1: Is it hard to stand out in that situation where you're competing with so many big names? I mean,
4: it's hard to stay relevant, no matter how big your name is. Um, the customers seem to flock to newer restaurants. What's hot? What's new? Um, so to stay relevant and actually to be able to keep up your social media and all your PR is is really difficult. You you basically, Instagramming and tweeting and doing something three or four times a day just to actually keep people intrigued.
1: I mean, you could always just move to Houston.
0: (laughs) We were talking about housing costs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, if you come over to my house, like you're going to want to move to Houston pretty much immediately versus just based on square footage.
1: Yeah.
4: San Francisco's it's, it's a, it's a hard city to live in. It really is.
1: I mean, you, you had a bigger location that you kind of downsized. I mean, where, where do you kind of see yourself in your career at this point is, is the, is it just the one restaurant, or or do you want to get back at there and try to grow the thing again?
4: Um, not really. I'm pretty happy with where I'm at right now. Um, you know, more money, more problems. <laughs> it's pre- it's it's pretty true. Yeah. And the more staff, the more, more staff,
1: stress, more problems. Yeah.
4: It's it's you know, I look, I like where we're at right now.
1: Ryan, how about you? I mean, you're a year in, a year plus in real. I know you've you've had a little bit of turnover.
3: Not much, uh, not bit. much.
1: I mean, a little bit. But are you are you kind of happy with what you're doing, or, or how are you? How do you find it to to kind of stay relevant? Because you got that big pop when you opened, and, and well, you know, there's, there's been, always new stuff coming. It's,
3: there's always been new stuff, and I, you know, we're only a year old, and we're still kind of. It's my first restaurant. And we're still kind of trying to figure it out. Um, obviously, a massive hurricane didn't help anything with anyone. So you know, you're that whole last year for I think anybody is, is kind of like, you know, it's not like it, it usually was. You know, everyone you talk to has, you know, there was some kind of problem or something, there's some kind of that. You know, so you're, you're always still trying to push forward and, and, um, and get better. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, like we're, we're still pretty young. We're still learning every day how to, how to do this. Like, owning a restaurant hard.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm eight years deep in the restaurant. I've been doing this since I was 11 years old. And I'm still trying to figure it out.
3: Yeah.
1: Um. So Grover, what's what's next for Indie Chef's Week? Kind of what are, um, what do you what do you see happening with this? Because it it is kind of a I've described it as kind of a traveling food festival. So
0: it's getting announced in about a week, uh, but I've partnered with a food media company, and they are going to with kind of expanding the brand. I do have, I have three more events this year. I've got LA in July, uh, Richmond, Virginia in August, San Francisco at the end of September, and then a thing called Chef Camp at the end of the year that's outside of San Francisco. I'll have six more of the year after. Uh, a couple of auxiliary events that go with that. Um, and yeah, we're just looking to take this kind of format that and it's evolved every single time. You know, it's like we try different things, different pieces uh, to see what works best. And we're getting to the point where you know, we can add some formality to like, like the educational aspect of it, if that makes sense, you know, so that not only are you getting a vacation and not only are you blowing off steam, but you're also getting a benefit out of it, either learning about a farm or, you know, some sort of local operation or restaurant operation. Um, And through that partnership with the food media company, that's something we're going to be able to do. And so I'm really excited about that. Um, We're going to be able to offer more value to the chefs for less cost to them. Um, I'm almost to the point where it's basically free unless they want to go out on their own to do stuff. And Within a few months, we should be. It's a totally, you know, gratis trip for the chefs. Um, so I'm excited. I'm very excited for the future. Uh, the chef camp thing we're doing at the end of the year is really, really amazing idea. I think it's just, it's basically like a reunion every year um, for all the chefs that have participated in the past. No dinners, just like four days of family meals. Just just hang. Just three, three days. And they'll be located at places where there's something going on that's related to food or beverages. Um, I can't say where they're at right now, but it's really, it's going to be really neat. So there'll be a, a nice relaxation aspect to it and, you know, a lot of fun. And that way people will stop complaining if they don't get invited to every single one of them. Because uh, <laughs> we can't do that. We've got we to have some uh, you got to mix it up rotation. A bit. But, yeah, yeah, but I'm very excited for the future. Uh, it's been a long time coming. And uh, we formalized everything before the last one in New Orleans. Um, and it's getting announced in about a week.
1: So. so, Tim, let me ask you, I mean, who do you kind of think of as, the, as an ideal participant for... Indie Chefs Week, are they are they up-and-comers? Are they veteran chefs? I mean, what, what kind of defines it for you? Yes.
4: <laughs> I think that if, you know, I think everybody gets a benefit from this. I'm, I'm pretty sure at this caliber, if you were to ask a chef, like, do you think, the, would you like to learn more? Would you like to be able to expand your repertoire? I'm pretty sure they would say yes. And if they don't, then... We pretty much don't want them there. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: it's like the formula is you're responsible. You know, you have a good positive attitude. You check your ego at the door. care about food. You care about, you know, learning about where you're at. And you take part in our itinerary. And you're, you want to make a bunch of friends. You know, like this is, uh, this is all about the friendships. That's 100% the most important part. I've made so many important friendships in my life from this event. Um, I'm extremely grateful for that opportunity. And I think that, like... If you understand that portion of it, like we want to have you back, you know, and it's it's when you don't do that that, you know, I feel like it's a lost opportunity and not a participant that we want to have back in the future.
1: Ryan, do you have like a a wish list of people that you, or are are there people that you're sort of calling, and being like, you got to do this?
3: You know, there's, I probably have um, more people approach me asking if they can do it or or um you know whatever because I've I've done a lot of them and there's like the you know the kind of cast of characters that are there's one or two or three of us at at each one, you know, whether it be myself or Tim or BJ or Richie or Scott Vivian or someone like that, there's always like one or two of us there. But, um, you know, you, you need, you also need the new blood to come in there and, 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 and that too, because, if it was just all of us
1: at the same time, every time. You're going to stop learning at some point. <laughs> I'd be terrified. Yeah, just learning so bad I'd yeah, be terrible. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Tim, let me just ask you, who was the, who was the person you met this weekend that, whose food was like the most impressive to you? you better say mine.
3: Ryan's <laughs> on no, no. third from last. You no, know Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> who did you,
1: who did you meet? Who was, who was new to you?
4: Um, well, there was a lot of new That's people. That's a tough one. Yeah. I, I really can't say the best. I'm honestly like it's, Everybody brings at least one thing where I'm like, that's amazing, right? Everyone, someone did something just even weird to a vegetable or added some weird, had some weird vinegar in their pickle or, or some weird technique where I was like, that's a, I, so I'm going away, going home with that. I learned something.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I was just impressed that there's a guy in Anchorage that's doing Dude, Bo's awesome. Like yeah. really bonkers. Yeah. Like raw fish preparations. Like,
4: so that's really cool. I did an event with him at his restaurant a couple years ago, and he blew me away. He really did. His, his food is amazing. what Bo's Schooler, right?
1: Bo's Schooler, think? yeah. I yeah. Said,
0: so I said this in the, the kind of intro for him both nights, but this is 100% true. I mean, I'm not even joking. I'd had 12 or 13 chefs be like number one on their list to invite, recommended Bo's Schooler. And you know last. And these are not even people that are have interpersonal relationships. So it was just different groups of people recommending the same guy. Over it wasn't like and a pro
1: conspiracy. It, no, it, it came from was, a you know, place.
0: And I wish there would have been because I should have invited him to one of these things like three years ago. But uh, it was incredible, man. And his attitude is great. Um, super down to earth, dude. Yeah,
3: he's a good cook. You know, I've done two things with him up in Juno, and you know, you don't think you don't. If you're going to Juno like. You know, I didn't know what to expect, and man, he brought it. Like he's a he's a really really good cook.
4: You know, and I think that this is, doesn't define him, but he's sober, and to bring like a sober side to this also, and he can come and participate and not have it be a problem for him is is awesome.
1: Yeah, I was real. I, I couldn't have been more impressed with him. Yeah, I I mean I, I don't want to dwell too much, but the the partying is kind of part of it, right? I mean the, you know, there was an after party at glitter one night, and I can only imagine what you guys did at the end of service on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I I want that
0: to be something that people can participate in if they want to. Um, I try to be conscientious of, you know, people that are either in recovery or sober or whatever. Um, and we kind of give them an opportunity to reach out there if they want to do a different itinerary. And, you know, it, it's not as debaucherous as it was five or six years ago. It used to be five days of just, you know, yeah. hardcore, like a lot of fun. We'll <laughs> just say that. Work hard, play hard. Yeah, work hard, play hard. But, I mean, we're getting older, and uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to you know, change the vibe a little bit but still have that positivity. So you have the option of doing both. Um, I definitely peel off a lot earlier than I used to because I realize that if I don't, I'm going to be absolutely sick by the end of this thing. I'm just worn out from no sleep uh, because you start wrangling people at 9 a.m., and you got to make sure they get home at 2.30 or 3 a.m., and that's a, that's a long road for five days.
3: Yeah, it's tough on the body.
1: oh you're a trooper you'll be all right i'm just
0: i'm really happy that ryan made it here at 10 a.m
1: yeah yeah no credit credit to all three of you for making a a 10 a.m recording time the night after uh the last service uh so tim you uh so you enjoyed houston uh you've enjoyed indie chef's week uh what's next for you at this point i mean you're gonna go home and I, i guess more more career wise i mean what are Uh, What's next for you, do you think?
4: Well, you know, when you almost die, you realize what's important. And when we had the big restaurant, I was working a lot. So um, trying not to work so much, trying to get a good balance. Because it really does take over. You know, you kind of get obsessed with your restaurant. It's never good enough. It's never clean enough. It's never whatever you can find that, to make it better. And sometimes you just kind of have to figure out how to get those things, but, but not kill yourself basically.
0: Rick Cooper told a story about how when he goes home after work to his wife, the second he starts talking about anything related to the restaurant, she just shuts down, turns to the right, turns on the TV because it's like <laughs> talking about how, like how involved you are personally about it, you know, and it's like your entire life and you also have a family that's your entire life. And it's, it's a lot. And, uh, like, so you get home, you don't even talk about it with your wife because it's just, it takes over so much. Otherwise, it'll start bleeding into, you know, the rest of it. And it's the same way for, with me when I was still in the restaurants full time. My wife would just get so sick of it. Like, stop. I don't want to hear about it anymore, you know, because it is. It takes over.
4: Yeah. And I think there's, I think it's just the culture. I think that we need to f- find ways to redefine the culture.
3: It's hard to turn it off. Yeah. Know. When you're there so much, it's hard to turn it off sometimes. So. Right. If but it's not good for you. It's you, not.
4: You, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of stress, and your body does not need that stress.
0: And so. I think events like this kind of help with that conversation. Do you know what I mean? Because, like, these are the kinds of things we talk about during the event. And then the hope is is that as you have more and more people doing this, if people are finding better practices on how to have a better work-life balance. It,
3: like- I think it's also nice to talk about your restaurant with other guys, whether it be in the city, um, whether it be in, in, from other cities, and they're having, you know, there you have a lot of the same struggles you have and in, in stuff like that you know you're not you don't kind of feel like you're the only guy doing this or doing that or what the hell am I doing that you get some advice there guys a lot of these guys Tinsmiths for a while you know it's like they've done this stuff before you know they've had a restaurant that's been open a year and a half and, and things so it's it's nice to, to, to know sometimes you're not the only guy doing this stuff
1: yeah, yeah sure. especially when you're an independent operator right yeah. you don't have the support of a, yeah. a restaurant group
0: or mm-hmm. whatever Fixing, you spend more time fixing toilets and, <laughs> and condensation lines and, you
4: know, equipment. Yeah, so equipment. I, I built all my furniture in my restaurant because I didn't want to pay for expensive restaurant
1: furniture. Well, it's really nice. It's, it's very nice. Yeah, I know that was one of the things Ryan talked about the first time he was on the show was he couldn't believe how much chairs cost. Oh, <laughs>
3: man, stuff's expensive.
4: Like, yeah, that's why I built my own chairs.
3: You know, <laughs> yeah. We had, um, like, the first day we had a, a couple uh, um, leaks in the roof on, on Thursday. And that is like, fuck, like, why is this happening right now? Like, that's one. That's one. That's only one. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, of course, when you're, you're talking about maintenance. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, man. You're, up, you know, you're not working on your food. You're, always, like, you know, you're up on the roof doing something. Always to something. Out something, always. Always you know. something. Tim
0: was supposed to, not to bring up bad stuff, Tim, but Tim was supposed to do our last one in New Orleans and had to bail at the last minute because, his entire subfloor Joyce had rotted out at his restaurant. And it was just like shut down for what five weeks? Five weeks. Yeah. And so he was dealing with that. And he's like, I can't leave this. Like I got staff, <laughs> I can't work. Um and yeah, that's just that's life in it, you know.
1: Right. Um, well, gentlemen, I mean I I that feels like a pretty good place to wrap this up unless you have one last point you want to make. No. I see I see shaking heads. All right. Uh, Tim, I usually end these interviews with, uh, what I call the lightning round, five easy questions, five short answers since Grover and Ryan have already participated in this particular exercise and I'm too lazy to write new questions. I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to say, I'm just going to hit you with them. Sure.
0: I could do a better job on the questions the second time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, Tim, what's the first restaurant you ever worked at? Uh, my parents' restaurant. What was it called? Uh, it was called the Donegal Inn. Uh, what is your fast food guilty pleasure that comes from a drive-through?
4: Um, I'm not. I don't feel guilty about it. Taco Bell. I love Taco Bell.
1: EVP. <laughs> so do I. Um, I always ask people who their favorite Houston sports figure is, but uh, I'll let you off the hook. Who's your favorite San Francisco sports figure, past or present? I hate sports. Sports ball. <laughs> um, what is your uh, favorite ingredient? Probably so And what is the first band you ever saw in concert? Beastie Boys. Run really? DMC. No way, really. Strong. Yeah, 1985. Um, and then, Grover, why don't you just plug the Indie Chefs Week website and social media feeds?
0: Uh, so it's Indie Chefs Week, like independent. So I-N-D-I-E, chefsweek.com. All of our social media is at Indie Chefs Week. Facebook is facebook.com slash Indie Chefs
1: uh, Ryan, how about real? Um, what is it?
3: Rielhtx.com uh, is our, our website. realhuston.com. Is it? No, yeah. it's not. It's
1: Rielhtx. No, it's realhtx.com Yes, yeah. no, it yeah. thanks Grover. Is- <laughs> it might be real Houston on Instagram though. It's real Houston on Instagram. Uh, and then Tim, uh, how about you for people who may be traveling to San Francisco and want to pay and you? And they visit? should.
4: Uh, I'm at ichi chef on Instagram and then the restaurant is each at ichi
1: at Sushi. All right. Uh, And you can follow me on Twitter at Esandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.